Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome uh, to the show. Actions, consequences. For a long time now, there's been a deliberate campaign by media outlets, by politicians, not just confined to the Conservatives by any means, to demonise the scapegoat, migrants, refugees, asylum seekers. Very convenient in a society, in a society's crisis-ridden as ours, where people lack properly funded public services, where they're stuck on social housing waiting lists, uh, where their wages have stagnated um, and fallen, uh, where there's a lack of secure jobs, to blame or redirect many of the problems that exist in society at some of the most vulnerable people on the face of the earth. And that rhetoric has become ever uglier, particularly, of course, on the Conservative front benches and with Home Secretaries who, uh, I'm afraid, only get ever uglier in their rhetorics. Well, Braverman, of course, the latest one, almost a parody of a hateful politician. Um, two days ago, there was a far-right riot in Nosley in Merseyside, and this centred on a hotel providing refuge for asylum seekers. Um, let's just have a look first at some of the scenes which were taken by on the mobile phones of what was happening in Nosley. Loads here, mate. Absolutely loads. Big all hiding inside. Proper, proper good mob here. I mean, you can see that's a very, very significant crowd. That's a very large crowd of people who, who of course, gathered there. Let's just see how those scenes then later degenerated. Here's the plug, here's the plug. Oh, no, no. So there were reports of fireworks going off, uh, smashed glass, locks flying, and clashes with the police. And you can hear what the, the chant was to give you a flavour, of course, of what the political, I suppose, orientation of this mob was. <laughs> So they're yelling there, get them out, get them out, get them out. Ugly scenes indeed. And I suppose the danger is, with a very 
I'm afraid, well-founded danger is that this is a flavour of worse to come. Um, we've already seen in this country, for example, a rise in far-right violence. Of course, we had the murder of Joe Cox um, by a far-right terrorist back in 2016. We had an attempted far-right murder of another Labour MP, Rosie Cooper. And there have been a rise in far-right uh, terror plots. And striking that Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, has suggested that there's too much focus on the threat of the far right at the exclusion of Islamist terrorism. But you can see whether it be in this riot or indeed these terrorist acts, well, you can see where things could be heading, not least given the sorts of rhetoric we've heard from newspapers and from politicians uh, for a very, very long time with a lack of a counterweight. I don't think many of us would argue that the Labour front bench, its current incarnation, are doing very much to push back on some of this viciously ugly rhetoric. Now, later, we're going to be talking to um, Benny Hunter, who is a anti-fascist youth worker who spends a lot of time researching the far right, the rise of fascism, and also is very much embedded in political organising, centering on defending migrants and refugees. To give kind of broader context and so on, but first, I'm really honoured to bring in uh, Kolbasia Hausu. Um, now, Kolbasia uh, works with uh, the brilliant campaigning organisation Freedom From Torture. Um, he came here as a refugee from Chad in 2005 and actually as a torture survivor. Kolbasia, it's such an honour to have you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It really is my, my honour to be here too. And thank you very much for having me. No, honestly, honours all, all mine. Can you just tell tell us firstly about your story? Tell Tell us about... Uh, what happened in Chad and what can, what forced you to leave, basically? Yeah, um, thank you for the question. I think, um, first of all, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of, um, you know, what happened. I was um, I was held in a military camp where I was uh, tortured for about seven, seven months there. And then I had opportunity to flee and to escape. Uh, I was in that military camp, so I, I flee. And, you know, from that moment, for me, the most important thing is to be as far as possible from, you know, the military so that I know I'm not going to be captured again. So I managed kind of to move um, to the neighboring country. And from there, it was really important for me to put at least one or two countries uh, between myself and my country so that I have a better chance not to be, uh, not to be captured. And, and through the process of looking of a way of getting somewhere, um, I managed, you know, to get um, money and, you know, give, you know, people that will help you get, you know, somewhere, uh, somewhere else. And then I, you know, paid those people and, and then, you know, they learned the process of getting me somewhere. But let me tell you that I did not have a control of, of, of everything, but the only thing, just give them the money and then you know you just wait in a limbo waiting what will be the next next step and from there so i you know started the journey uh you know with them you know to put me um mm -hmm. in a ship and then we did uh, you know travel and for for a few months and then you know we get into the uh into the uk i did not know the uk honestly but you know some other people speaking English initially, I was thinking maybe the US or the Canada because we did travel for a very long time. So I, you know, I lost 
um, count of time and I lost because I wasn't, you know, I was just hidden in a, um, in a container somewhere. So I, I didn't know what is happening. I cannot see. And I'm just let out when I, when I were let out. So then, you know, I end up in, um, in, in the UK. And then I started the process of um, seeking a, asylum. And to my biggest surprise, I was uh, put in immigration detention center straight away since when I presented myself in seeking. That was really, I mean, it's, it was a really difficult part of my life because I felt that I have made a sacrifice. I have journeyed for very, very long for for really, really a long, and some of the journey I, I walk, and you know, the moment where I starve, and there's a moment where I mean, when I was with those smugglers, they can they could have done anything with me. They could have sold me as a slave and everything. And finding myself in that position, I was just looking at my life, and I was thinking that my life is gonna spiral back to square zero again. It was really, really. You know, tough, um, you know, for me because I felt that I at least reached somewhere where I'm gonna start a, a new beginning, but that wasn't that wasn't the case in in the beginning. Can you tell me about your experience in an immigration detention center? An immigration, um, it's really horrendous, um, you know, feeling to be in that immigration detention. You know, compared to other people that maybe stay there six months, seven months, and year, I did not stay long in that, but I could not sleep. Constantly, I'm just thinking, what's going to happen to me uh, next? And constantly, uh, I was just crying all, uh, so all, you know, all the time, because I, I, see, I see the ending. Really, I see my life ending. And then, and I I feel sorry for you know for myself. I felt that I'd done so much sacrifices and then coming here and then I'm gonna be facing that reality again. I really felt sorry and it's like it's like my life was flashing, flashing, flashing back. And I was, you know, accusing myself of a lot of things, why this and why that. I didn't do wrong in the first place to be tortured. And I didn't do anything wrong to come in seeking protection. I didn't do any wrong to be put in immigration detention center. Why? Why? Why is happening uh, to me? And at that moment, where everything really just—it's like everything just collapsed in my mind. I my mind completely broke. I started having really strong headache. I was bleeding constantly. I have a nightmare cannot sleep, cannot eat, I have my stomach that is really burning. There is a lot of things that are happening that I really could not understand, uh, you know, what is uh, what is happening, what is happening to me. And uh, luckily for me, I wasn't deported and I was released from immigration detention center. Mm -hmm. And then I was referred to uh, freedom from torture um, that helping torture survivors. And then I start process of rehabilitation and freedom from torture. Then, I mean, how did you feel that you're someone who survived torture? You came here hoping to find safety. 
and then you were treated like that by the British state. How did that feel? Honestly, at that moment, I really, really thought that the United Kingdom and and the regime that I, I flee, they are they are connected, that they are working together. Now, I felt that you know the United Kingdom kind of communicated back, you know, to the people that I'm fleeing, that I reach here. And then they agreed, okay, then, you know, they're going to send me really back. I re I was paranoid, absolutely, at that moment. I really felt that there is a communication between them that is happening. Otherwise, why? Why me? What what the, what I what I did wrong? I could not understand what I did wrong. I know that, um, you know, I came here. I didn't, I didn't come with visa, but I came because my life was in danger. And I, with the idea that, you know, they can listen to my story and if they want to make a check, they can check. And then they will give me the protection. That was my, uh, my understanding. But I was, uh, honestly, I, because prior to that, I'm telling you that I lost faith in anything official, anything government and, and all those kind of, kind of thing. And... That experience proved me only right, that you cannot trust yeah. official, you cannot trust yeah. government, or that the government that torture you, or the, or the government that you're seeking protection from. When you hear comments, the likes of Sorella Braverman talking about an invasion on the southeast coast, when you hear or see newspapers talking in very inflammatory terms about refugees about asylum seekers how does that make you feel given your background and what you've gone through i think it make my heart really bleed uh, honestly speaking mm -hmm. i mean i, I had I had a really tough time here in the uk in the beginning because i was homeless um, and all those kind of things mm -hmm. but one thing that i really cannot really fault you know, people that, you know, people in the community. Um, I mean, they show me love. At Freedom From Torture, from the beginning, people show me love. For me, they're strangers. I don't know them. Why they want to care for me? I was really surprised and struck by the welcoming, the respect, the love that people were showing to me. I said, why is that? I was... I wasn't believing really why people treating me um, the way it is. And in the community, it's the same thing. F first, uh, you know, I, I love football. I, I love Arsenal. And I, I go into the pub watching watching football. And then I met Guy as well as Arsenal fan. And he started talking to me and and, and, so, and, and so and so. And then asking me, do I love playing football? I say, yes. And then the guy that I don't know, and then says, next thing, oh, invite me, come, can you come and come? We have a football team that you can play with, with, with us. That's my first interaction with really local people at that moment. Let, let me call them local people. And it's completely changed my attitude, you know, to our people. I start believing that there is good on people. All right? And this country gives me so much to build the love that... Um, I built today to be the person that I, I am today. Mm -hmm. But listening to uh, Braverman, listening to Priti Patel, and it's starting from you know, David Cameron and all those kind of things, and, 
and year on year, the narrative just becoming really damning, really negative, hostile to our refugees and asylum seeker people, vulnerable people that are coming here seeking protection, seeking help from us. I mean, we are not asking anything. I always say, you have to listen to somebody. You have a process in place, you have a system, you have a policy in place. If you feel that the person provides you the information to give them the protection, you give them. Okay. If you feel that the person not providing you the information, not to give them, you feel that the person does not require protection, so they you don't. But you need to treat people with respect and dignity. We are all human beings. That's all what we require. Okay. We are not expecting... People coming here, they, they're going to get protection. Those that need, those that require protection will be given, those not. But we need to treat people with respect and dignity. And that's, that's what this country is supposed to stand for. When you saw, as I showed, those images of a far-right riot in, in Nosley, I mean, what, what was your, when you, when you heard about those events, what, what, what was your thoughts? What, how, what was your kind of gut reaction, I suppose, to what you saw? I think, um, honestly, I, I don't know, uh, two days ago, I wake up like three o'clock in the morning. I don't know, straight away, I went to Twitter and then I saw Liverpool Liverpool, Liverpool were trending. And I didn't know, know why Liverpool was trending. I, I thought that maybe, you know, they, um, you know, they sacked their manager. So then, you know, I went there, there's completely something else that, you know, sh shocked me. Yeah. And I I could not watch it long because straight away, we waking that moment where I was so vulnerable. I felt at that moment, really, when I was in the immigration detention center, all those feelings just come up again. Because I straight away put myself in the, in, um, in the feet of those um, asylum seekers that being, you know, attacked at that moment and having that group of people, you know, shouting and, you know, the fire, it completely, really, it, it really broke me. I felt really, really sorry for those people. And I've, I have felt that they have done nothing wrong and nobody gonna going to do anything to protect them there. If they, if they attack, you know, they're just going to die or they're going to be beaten, you know, badly. And what, what, what are we turning into? It's, where, it's like lawless country now. People just wake up in the morning, decided to take justice or to take the law in their hand and our leaders, the government, and standing there, not having a robust um, um, response to that. It's really shameful. For those who want to stand by refugees, asylum seekers in this poisonous climate, what's your kind of what you kind of what would you like to ask? What what what's the best things people can do to push back at this kind of really ugly, poisonous tidal wave of hate? I suppose what would what what would you you know encourage people to do? I think one one thing that I really want to say you know to people is that we as a people, right? We have we have a power to make our community and the society and the country uh, welcoming and respect to people. You know, government is we that put them, put the government in, in power. And with our power of vote, you know, we can tell them exactly what we want them to do. 
because I think I'm feeling that you know they're telling us what instead of me we telling them is the government are telling us um, to do uh, to to do the thing, and I think we need to come really together, and as a community we need to stand together to protect you know people vulnerable people asylum seekers and refugees, um, you know so that they cannot be threatened. And also, I think one thing that I really quickly also want to say is that and the government doing those things, the thing that they're going to deter people. But when you're fleeing, when you know that your life in danger, you know, crossing crossing a channel, crossing a river, that is no, that is no danger for you. You will do that no matter what. And coming and doing all those things is not going to deter people. We're just creating more of the dangerous route that people need to take even more danger to put people on on that. So us coming together, supporting uh, our community, I think the best way forward for us as a as as a humanity. Kawasia, really, really appreciate your thoughts there. Really, really very moving, but also um, I think giving a bit of context and a bit of humanity, which this so-called debate obviously has deliberately been stripped off um so it's re- real real honor to have you so um thanks for joining us today and uh, people also just so people are aware you can follow Cobasia on social media um so in fact if we have because we have to spell it out otherwise here we go so people can see on the screen uh if you're unless you're listening on the podcast um but do follow Cobasia Hasu on on twitter for example uh, but Cobasia really really appreciate it and thanks so much for joining us no, thank you very much for having me. Thank Take care. You. Speak right. to you. Take care. Bye. Great stuff there from um, Colbassia. Um, I should have said, by the way, I forgot to say, um, do press uh, like on if you're watching live, click on the YouTube link. If you're not watching on YouTube, uh, press like and do subscribe. Um, and you can support the show on uh, Super Chat, as people are doing, uh, like uh, Taranair Amadi Parker. I'll thank you all at the end if you'll put questions as well to the next guests. We'll do that. Um uh, your support will enable us to do the documentaries we've got lined up and people have submitted on patreon.com for slash own joe's 84 the documentary ideas you'd like us to get on with making so we will be doing that very shortly and i'm going to bring in benny hunter now who is a youth worker anti-fascist lots of various things campaigner how you doing benny hi thanks for having me no thanks thanks so much for coming on yeah um First, I just want to show you this reaction from Suella Braverman, who we discussed there, who is, I'm afraid to say, the Home Secretary. I condemn the appalling disorder nosily last night. The alleged behaviour of some asylum seekers is never an excuse for violence and intimidation. Um, pretty sickening stuff, I would say. Um, deliberately trying to inject, I suppose, the pretext for the riot and, and in a sense, legitimise it. So I just want your thoughts just on what she said there. Yeah, I mean, in one regard, it feels sort of like victim blaming. In another way, it sort of feels a bit like sort of like a wink, nip, wink, nudge, nudge to towards the people that have been involved in this. Um, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, um, particularly. Um, you know, we had an incident in the last few months um, where a person <laughs> uh, firebombed a <laughs> processing centre for migrants in Dover. Um, And I remember at the time she also responded um, 
in a similar fashion. Um, and I guess, you know, when you're Suella Braverman and you your base is um, the hard edge of, of the right of politics, um, this is how she would respond. And this is, you know, her way of sort of ducking out of the conversation as well, because, you know, as you've already discussed, so much of what has happened in the last few days has come as a result of the rhetoric of people like the Home Secretary, um, so much of the the right wing in terms of politics, but also in the media um, and in the government. What, from, just from your example, from your experience as a researcher of the far right and so on, how would you just, as you see it, the context behind this particular riot? I mean, to what degree do you think this was specifically organised and instigated by far-right extremists? What do you think the role of social media um, maybe also is in this? I mean, what's your just thoughts about this specific event? Yeah, it's it's hard to sort of dig apart all the different pieces from what we've seen online. Um but it appears that there was a large group of people here. Um, reports have been suggesting around 400 um, people turned out to protest outside of this hotel. There was also a peaceful counter-protest there that involved anti-racist and refugee organisations. Um, but in the lead up to this big protest, um, there had been far-right groups such as Patriotic Alternative and Britain First, who'd been visiting this hotel in particular in the weeks previous. The weekend before, Patriotic Alternative had been um, leafleting the local area um, with leaflets which read, um, you know, making claims about five-star hotels for migrants while Brits freeze. Um, And then there were individuals at this that were noted to have been at this protest who were are prominent far-right and anti-immigrant figures. Um, but it also has to be said that it did seem like there was a considerable um, local connection here <laughs> in the kind of the accents of the people who were shouting in a lot of the videos, um, sort of the, these were some, some local people were there present too. And it, probably isn't true to say that it was just outsiders being shipped in. Um, But I think that what seems likely is that the flames of this incident have been fanned over some time and have been um, pushed forward by organised far-right groups with the objective of creating this sort of situation. Um, You know, the... The Suites Hotel, where this took place, featured on a list of roughly 90 hotels that have alleged to be housing asylum seekers, and that that list had been shared quite widely in far-right spaces in the past few weeks. And this particular demo um, was the the details of which were shared online in chat groups, Patriotic Alternative chat groups and groups that support Tommy Robinson. So I think, yes, I think that there were probably individuals there who had you know um you know maybe particular anti-migrant views but weren't themselves involved in far-right groups um i think it was a combination of those two groups that were there um and 
the results of which are, are pretty shocking, pretty horrifying. Um, you know, burning a police van and um, uh, throwing fireworks. I can only imagine, you know, just listening to really moving things that Colbastia was saying about his experience as an asylum seeker in the UK, um, just how horrifying and terrifying that would be for someone, um, I mean, for anyone, but for, for someone who's come here, um, you know, and I think something that Colbastia was saying about the, the, the things that he sacrificed in order to make that journey, so many of these people will be feeling that, they've gone through hell, maybe in their own countries or on their journeys to the UK, but that the UK is this place that once they get to it, they'll be safe and that they will be able to rebuild their lives. And that is often a hope that drives people and allows them to overcome adversity and to overcome trauma. And then for them to arrive here and to experience that that violence, that, that visceral, hateful violence, um, it, it's so damaging it would be so damaging to the people inside and it it's so damaging to society um you know it just rips apart these communities um and i think also a lot of the blame can also be put in the current situation that we have whereby you know asylum seekers are placed in hotels by this government um which is in a way so unnecessary when they could be living with us in our communities. Um. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. In terms of, I guess this is a... Uh, the pretext for this far-right violence is, is age-old. I mean, if you look at lots of different contexts, so, for example, take the United States um, after the Civil War um, and Reconstruction and so on, and the KKK organised and agitated, often under the banner of protect our women and girls. And it was this idea of black men being a violent, sexually predi- violent sexual predators. So there's a film called Birth of a Nation, The Birth of a Nation in 1915, which was one of the first big popular films, um, which very much pushed this narrative. And it's this use of the very real problem that exists of male violence towards girls and women to target particular minorities. In the United States, it was black people used to deprive them of their rights um, in the in the American South. We see it in the anti-trans backlash today as well. Um, I mean, that's, that's, it strikes me with nosy, that's what you see here, which is often to seize on particular examples which are then extrapolated in order to justify targeting 
um, an entire minority, often by far-right elements, I have to say, who within their own ranks have sexually predatory men. Um, uh, and then, obviously, they're using, um, you know, they're trying to target uh, minorities uh, um, claiming that they're all collectively threats to women and girls. But that is a big part of this, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly right. And I think it's interesting, the point you made there about the um, anti-trans um, kind of protests as well. You know, we saw that in London even this weekend that the Patriotic Alternative were involved in organising to you know, protect um, society from um, LGBT identities um, and um it seems to be this this these this issue of protecting children protecting um women is sort of used as the basis for um you know racism and bigotry and and xenophobia um i think it's also interesting that recently as recent as i think last week or two weeks ago in dublin this very similar situation occurred in which um there was far right groups agitating around this issue um, of there having been a rumour of sexual violence perpetrated by someone who may have been from a refugee background. Um, This was actually misinformation. Um, The police have come out and said that there's no basis for any of this, but as a result of this agitation, there was then violence perpetrated against um, a migrant encampment. Um, A report in the Irish Times said that there was men with dogs and sticks and baseball bats attacking people um, who were homeless in Dublin. Um, so I think, you know, we've seen this happen time and time again, um, not just in the UK, as you've said, also in, in historical context, but also um, I don't know if you remember previously that incident that happened in, I think it was Germany, um, in the kind of period after the Syrian civil war when a large number of um, people had come to Europe from Syria Um, and there was incidents where um, that were later found to I believe be misinformation Um, and um, this claim that that migrants are particularly um, you know violent and um, pose a risk to women um, is is sort of a a myth, really, a thing that's been perpetuated by by far right groups and by, um, in large part, also by our our media, our, our press, um, far right um, rags. Yeah. How much do you think there's a danger of far right elements gaining genuine traction amongst certain working class communities, and how much is there a failure on the left and the labour movement to organise properly in those communities to offer a counterweight? I think it was interesting that so many people, um, you know, responded to this with shock that this had happened in in a community that's very close to Liverpool, because I think people associate Liverpool as this sort of um, bastion of left wing um, um, kind of politics, and I just think it goes to show the the real risk that there is in our communities across the UK, um, whereby people who, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I necessarily believe that, you know, people who attend a far-right 
protest can be persuaded to think otherwise if we had, um, you know, a, a stronger left wing movement. But I think that there are people at home who maybe don't attend this type of event mm -hmm. who may be thinking, well, you know, potentially they have a point. Maybe they, they think that all these people actually are making themselves heard and they're defending our, um, our community. And I think that when you have a strong left, when you have a strong, um, you know, organized um, working class, um, then there is opportunities for alternatives. There is opportunities for people to understand um, that the issues that we have in our society around, you know, failing public services, around lack of housing, around, um, you know, um, austerity and and all of these issues um this is not something that is the fault of um a, a relatively small number of people who come to the uk to claim asylum every year um and that's an argument that we unfortunately just need to keep making over and over again that this is very convenient for the government for the tories um and potentially also for the Labour Party to say that um, that this is the fault of these people over there. This is why you are suffering. This is why the community that you live in is, you know, falling apart. It's because of those people there. And we just need to keep saying that it's not. And that, you know, people who come here to claim asylum, people who are seeking refuge, they are part of our communities. They are people that, um, you know, are our friends, they're people who are the give back to society. And, and we just need to be able to provide a system in which they are able to rebuild their lives here and to be able to go on and, and um, you know, be part of our communities rather than stuck in, in hotels in um, wherever, all over the country. Um, you know, waiting for years for a decision for uh, a claim. Um, yeah. What do you think kind of just strategy from here on in is? I mean, maybe a kind of introduce a slightly hopeful element in this is that if you look at the polling attitudes towards immigration as a general capital term, I suppose, have actually improved quite significantly, even though immigration is actually higher now than it has ever been. Um so there's no, I mean, the Financial Times did an interesting study on this, which showed there is no correlation, direct correlation between levels of immigration and anti-immigration hostility. But there is a correlation between negative um, press reports about migrants, refugees, asylum seekers and negative sentiment. So I think that's, you know, perhaps not surprising, but it's quite interesting mm -hmm. to have the data fleshed out. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, as I say, you know, there has there has been that positive development because actually if you look back in the earlier 2010s, there was far more visceral, I would say, public hostility on the issue. Mm -hmm. uh, it came to the fore very much in the referendum campaign, if we're honest about it. So mm -hmm. what do you think? I mean, there, there is something to work with, I think, maybe? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, the enemy for the Tories, it, it is constantly changing. And, they, you know, previously it was the EU and that represented... Um, you know, as we saw with Nigel Farage and standing in front of his yeah. big poster, that represented uncontrolled migration. 
um, then it was immigrants and, and now it's sort of back to being about asylum seekers as it was I think previously in in the early 2000s um, and I think that that issue of you know the, the way in which it's been framed by this government by the Home Secretary by um, much of the press as these are people who don't deserve or don't need um, protection because they're not who they say they are um, I think that just needs to keep being unpicked and we just need to keep saying that, um, you know, having voices like Corbassi's voice, um, allowing opportunities for people to to be heard. And, you know, sometimes I just think that, you know, I, I have some of the, the most important and strongest relationships I've had in my life have been with people that I have met who have not come from this country and who've come here to, to seek asylum and to to rebuild their lives and I think that if more people were able to just know those people in their communities who have those backgrounds to invite them to be part of their lives and to learn from them I think it would be enriching for all of us um you know it's it's been one of the blessings for me of working in this sector and working with um, unaccompanied asylum-seeking children is just how much those young people that I've known are just so inspiring and so, um, so, so, you know, so special, I guess, and just in the ways in which that our community can be enriched by that. I just think that's the, the message that we need to, to give to people is, is, that people like Corbassia have, um, we've got something to learn from them. We've got something that we can understand about ourselves. Um, and I think that it's a blessing for us maybe that we've never been in a situation in this country um, where there's a war, where there is conflict um, for some time now, um, rather. And, and that means that we haven't had to be in that situation, but it could happen to us. Um, you know, it, it could be any of us one day. Um, yeah. Amen. Um, Benny, honestly, it's uh, such an honor to, to have you um, and explain that in such clear, lucid terms. Um, do follow Benny on social media. It's B3N, three, three isn't it? B-E-3-N-Y-H. Yeah, I think they, they, they didn't have my um, name when I was making my Twitter account at the time. Well, it could be worse because I get I got my Twitter account in 2009 and Owen Jones had been taken. So I did 84. And at the time it was like, it's fine. Now as I get older, the 84 just becomes a kind of... <laughs> ever ever approaching. Yeah. yeah. Now it's just like, oh, he's getting really old. Um... <laughs> I, I think you're some way off 84 yet, Owen. Actually, uh... <laughs> just <laughs> Before we go, actually, so David Baratti wants to, he's just saying the Tories' attitude towards any minority is basically psychopathic, but what about Labour's position, Reeves, comes across as cruel as Braverman. Just what your thoughts just on on, on where Labour at, finally, sorry, I should have asked that, actually. Yeah, I think that um, they're, they're playing this ridiculous game at the moment where they're trying to um, position themselves on both sides, which oh. just doesn't work, where they're saying... Um, you know, we disagree with the Rwanda plan. We believe in human rights. We believe that people should be able to seek sanctuary. And at the same time, you know, attacking the Tories for not having done enough to stop the boats. Um, you know, um, 
Yvette Cooper, the Shadow Home Secretary, kind of pushing this line of, you know, why aren't you doing more? Um, you know, should we be giving to the National Crime Agency? Should we be doing this? Should we be doing that? Okay. Um, to kind of stop people being able to seek sanctuary in the UK. Um, and I think that in itself fans these flames that have created this situation. And so obviously, I think that the far right rhetoric primarily comes from the government and the Tories. And um, you, you don't see the overt xenophobia hmm. at the moment. Um, from the the Labour front bench, but um, I think the positioning of this issue is very different from what we may have seen under, um, you know, Jeremy Corbyn when he was leader of the Labour Party attending a Refugees of Welcome protest um, oh. as his first step oh. as leader of the Labour um, leader of the Labour Party, rather. Um, yeah. I do worry that the, the, that they will just drift further right before the election um, in an attempt to sort of bring in bring in this particular demographic that they think that they can reach with that messaging. Um, so I think we just have to wait and see um, if this if this gets worse. Hopefully there are voices within the Labour movement, but also within the Parliamentary Labour Party you can stand up and say that this is not the right message right. and that we need to be specifically attacking the Tories on their rhetoric, on their policy as it comes to immigration and, and asylum. Absolutely. Um, Benny, thanks so much for just adding that right at the end. I think it's important we scrutinise the opposition, given they're the very likely government in waiting. They're likely to win the election next year. So I think scrutinising them is really important. Uh, cheers, Benny. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, you say. Great stuff from Benny. Really, really appreciate having him on with his expertise, insight and humanity, um, which is the one thing that's lacking in this so-called discussion. I just want to see, I can see this comment. Someone on Facebook keeps leaving this message, Georgina. Hi, Georgina. Uh, which is an attempt to justify what happened on Friday by the allegations of someone who happened to be an asylum seeker approaching an underage girl. You see, Georgina, I don't quite understand what point you're trying to make here because... If you thought all about it long enough and you had basic humanity, and this is an attempt to appeal to your basic humanity, you would understand how unreasonable it is to collectively blame an entire group for the actions of one person. You would, in the abstract, surely you understand that. That you don't, that if someone is Muslim or Jewish or Hindu, for example, and they committed some they committed a terrible crime or attempted to commit a crime, you wouldn't, I would hope, would you blame more Hindus, Jews or Muslims for the actions of that one individual? Because clearly terrible things are committed by people from every single possible background imaginable. People called Georgina commit terrible acts, but you probably wouldn't want to be held collectively responsible uh, for what they do either. Um, it is an absolute nonsense used throughout history to justify discrimination and bigotry, which is you take extreme acts allegedly committed by an individual with a certain attribute, and then you blame every single person with that attribute as though they're all collectively uh, responsible. I mean, Georgina, you know, Britain has committed horrible crimes all over the world. The Iraq war, for example, in which hundreds of thousands of Arabs were slaughtered in barbaric fashion. 
I don't happen to know your position on the Iraq war. I marched against it over and over again. Now, you would probably not want to be held collectively responsible for what that particular crime was, even though there's a stronger argument for it, because it was an elected government responsible for that particular heinous crime. And it's obviously a violation of basic humanity to inflict collective punishment on an entire group because of the actions of one particular individual, which is what you are spamming my comment section arguing for. Now, you are either stupid, to be honest, and you probably don't like me being quite that direct, or bigoted. In either case, it's not an excuse. And I would suggest that you would reassess how you look at the world if you think it's a reasonable position to have that you blame an entire group for the actions of a particular individual, which is what was used to justify, as I've already said, racism against black people in the United States. It was literally the founding basis of the KKK to protect our women from the threat of black people, which is what you're now trying to do in terms of asylum seekers. Now, in terms of just generally, I think it's important just to talk about, before I finish, um, in terms of the situation, in terms of the reality of re refugees and asylum seekers, because obviously there's this focus on the issue of small boats and the increase in numbers arriving through small boats. And it's really important to make the point that there were far fewer or significantly fewer asylum claims in the early uh, 2000s uh, than there are now. Um, and why is that? So why is it there were more people claiming asylum at the beginning of the 2000s than there are now, but now there's this focus on small boats? Because what happened is there was the legal and safe routes were clamped down on. So even though there were fewer asylum seekers coming to this country, they're coming through the only means possible because the safe and legal routes have been closed down. Even though this country is directly complicit in many of the reasons that people are forced to flee their homes. Take Afghanistan. Now, there are Afghan refugees. I met Afghan refugees in the old camp in Calais, including one teenager who watched his father be shot dead by the Taliban. Now, our country was involved in that conflict for two decades, and I'm afraid to say committed some pretty gruesome acts in which civilians were killed, um, which I'm afraid is one of the reasons the Taliban came back to power, because they, they, uh, they, they exploited some of the resentment against the Western forces involved in that conflict. Now, I would say we have a responsibility towards Afghanistan and its people because of our direct involvement. And the West more generally, given they made the slightly unfortunate decision to fund the Mujahideen in the 1980s and portray them as freedom fighters. Well, that ended well, didn't it? Um, as well as Saudi Arabia, a key Western ally, funneling um, support through the most extreme elements of that Mujahideen. That ended well as well, didn't it? Um, so we have this responsibility, or Saudis at the moment, speaking of which, carpet bombing Yemen with British bombs, to take in refugees. But we take, firstly, in terms of the West, so the, the, the countries most responsible for supporting dictatorships and wars across the world, they take in only 14% of the world's refugee population. So refugees are far more likely to be in the poorest countries with the least resources to look after those refugees. And if you look at Britain compared to those other Western countries who aren't doing their bit, um, Britain takes in significantly fewer refugees than, say, France, let alone Germany um, or Italy. And, and then people say, oh, well, they should just claim asylum in the first safe country. Not how it works. That isn't actually what international dictates. But you're also saying only Italy should, essentially, only Italy should take in refugees. Nobody else should, because when they arrive on, on, in Italy, 
that's to say country, rah, rah, rah. The reason we get the very small minority of the global refugee population who arrive here is generally speaking because they speak English and or have community ties, people who live, they live, who live here. Obviously, if you ended up in a country where you didn't speak the language and next door there was a country where you did, you would do everything possible to go to the country where you spoke the language because you would have a much better chance of having a secure future for you and for your family. Just obvious common sense. And again, when I went to the Calais refugee camp, the people I met spoke extremely fluent English. That's why they were coming to England. That's why they didn't they didn't speak any French. They had very little means of living in a country where they didn't speak the language or have cultural ties or familial ties or all the rest of it. I just think um, these points are worth um, making. Tad Campbell, the growing youth discontent on the government hopefully won't be redirected towards migrants and other minorities. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's very interesting, obviously, that um, younger um, people, obviously, huge amounts of discontent with the government. But in this country, they're much more likely to be supportive of migrants and refugees. That doesn't mean racism doesn't exist among younger people. It does. But I'd, I'd be, I'd, I have to say, if you compare to France, I'm afraid to say there is large youth support for the far right in France, um, for Marine Le Pen, for her um, the national rally, um, uh, Rassemblement National, which the party she represents. Um, so you don't take it for granted. But in America and Britain, interestingly, youth sympathy for far-right extremism and right, the right generally is much lower. And there is far more natural support. Obviously, younger people, particularly in urban areas, to be fair, are more likely to grow up with migrants and refugees than has ever been the case before. So they're often embedded in their social networks. And that is... For the reasons Benny said, that obviously if you know people from different backgrounds, including refugees and migrants, then they're, they're humanised, aren't they? And then when you see their humanity, you're far less likely often to be bigoted and prejudiced um, towards them. Uh, just to respond to Georgina again, I don't know why I'm doing this, but she says, I'm not justifying it, but it explains a lot. Um, as, the, as a scout's daughter of an immigrant, it doesn't matter that you're the daughter of an immigrant, Georgina. I'm not actually that interested. It actually makes your position worse because I don't know. I'm looking at your last name. I would suggest looking at your last name, I think maybe Georgian heritage. Okay. So if a Georgian, because you're saying I'm not justifying it, which you're talking about a particular asylum seeker who's alleged to have approached a 15 year old girl. I'm not justifying it, but explains a lot as a scout's daughter of an immigrant. So if a Georgian guy, someone who was from Georgian heritage and approached a 15 year old girl, and then people started rioting over the presence of Georgians, what would you say to that? Do you think that would be, do you think that, that would explain it? Would you say if you got personally targeted, if someone came up to you as a Georgian and started menacing you, on the basis that some other Georgian had done something bad, would you think would, and if someone said, well, Georgina, I'm not justifying it, but it explains a lot. Another Georgian, someone of Georgian heritage did do a very bad thing. So actually you can see why this person's angry with you. You wouldn't think that, would you? Cause you're not completely stupid, Georgina. I am really trying to, I'm doing my best here. I think it's important not to patronize you and, and to try and appeal to some basic rationality. And you said your kids are Algerian, not interested. Not interested. It makes your position worse. And I'm using Georgina here as a prop. Sorry, Georgina, because this is a stupid argument, which is the basis of prejudice and bigotry, which is that you extrapolate actions by a particular individual to target an entire group. That's what's happened. That's what happened to us. Black people traditionally still does. Muslims, migrants, refugees, trans people. It's always the same. And, and that there is no excuse for people using acts committed by one particular individual in order to target an entire group. I don't care, Georgina, about your heritage, as I've said, 
it just makes your position worse. Just going to make that clear. Cool. Uh, do press like um, and do press subscribe. Um, we have videos throughout the week, obviously. I thought this was important to talk about because, you know, the, the threat of the far right is very real. And, you know, this government, I think, will become, well, it is becoming increasingly desperate, isn't it? Because <laughs> look at the state of it, guys. Um, it's an absolute state. Um, and therefore, it's in their interest to deflect, to press a big red shiny button, which is uh, make people angry with refugees and migrants. That's what they'll do. As people's wages decline, their living standards fall, as people suffer for collapsing public services like the National Health Service, um, you know, as their social services and you know, the welfare state are hacked away, make people angry with refugees and migrants instead. That's what this government is intending to do. Um, so I think it's very important that we talk about this and um, focus on this particular menace, given the complicity of the British media and the British political elite, um, because they have, they're playing with fire. And we can see what happened in Nosley, and things could get a lot worse than that. We've seen, as Benny said, you know, for example, the petrol bombing of a migrant processing centre, and we have seen acts of far-right violence which have led to death. Um, so this is something that we do need to talk about, given the complicity of our elites just want to say thank you to fsm's dog tarani amadi parker nick the peasant reacts and of course david barata for your um barata sorry david uh, i know your name just tripping over um as ever for your support um do keep the show on the road on patreon.com forward slash owen joe's 84 so working this documentary this month but we need to decide what it is based on the submissions that have been made so we'll get on that uh we'll have videos pretty much every day this week as normal um, and also listen to us on the podcast um, as well. But yeah, thanks so much again to both our brilliant guests who were full of humanity. Um, and let's all be aware of the continued threat of the far right, um, which is a menace, and do everything we can to fight back. Cool. Cheers, everyone. Hope you're having a great Sunday or whichever day you're listening to this. And I will see you very soon. See ya. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.